702 on 92.7 and 106 FM. Streaming on 702.co.za. The 702 app. And on DSTV channel 856. Good afternoon and welcome to the Midday Report. It's six minutes past 12. I hope you've had a great festive season. I'm TD Madia standing in. Well, meant Christmas weekend. I'm TD Madia standing in for Mandy. We now be with you this week and again next week. Coming up on the show, we look at the BRT system, the bus rapid transit system in Johannesburg. You heard that it's been placed under business rescue. Well, we'll speak to MMCK Niku Nene, the stakeholder. What does this mean for the city and its commuters? But most importantly, we'll take you back in time. Think about 2010, the lead up to 2010, and what was happening with the BRT system when it was still a work in progress. You might remember the name Rahima Musaji, MMC then, who was on several hit lists, and there were issues about, well, threats, death threats that she faced at the time. So we'll get her thoughts as well. We'll look at Impala Platinum Mine, where the NUM is worried that its workers, when a wildcat strike last week, might now risk losing their jobs. And we'll speak to forecasters. I'm a little bit mad at forecasters. They said it will be a warm Christmas week can warm way when warm way huh wet weather all around so all of those and others coming up this hour you can send us a voice note 072-702-1702-072-567-1567 working this talk together every hour every day this is 702 let's walk the talk so you might have heard it in the news or read about it as well. The Ria Vaya board has been dissolved. This is on the back of it being placed under business rescue last week. The business rescue practitioner, Mahir Tayob, was on the radio this morning on Radio 702 telling Ray White earlier that he has indeed taken over the reins at the bus line. He also said maladministration, mismanagement of company assets, poor governance and a lack of expertise are all to blame for bringing this company to its knees. Let's take a listen to a little bit of that interview earlier before I bring in current transport MMC K Nikunene to share his thoughts on this entire situation. So okay, let's let's begin. Let's go to the onset. So Riavaya is it is loosely translated says we are going in Scamto. And it is a bus rapid transit system that was intended to provide high quality services at low cost. The project, as you know, commenced in 2009, and it intended to place commuters at the hallmark of public transport. However, however, and at first view, it appears that the company finds itself in this predicament because of fraud, maladministration, mismanagement of company assets, poor governance, a lack of expertise, to manage the project and a lack of understanding within the project. Sure. And then you, you have further problems between the shareholders, which are the taxi owners. So there is obviously a disconnect between the shareholders and other stakeholders, being the city as well as the company. Mm-hmm. And when the weak, when there's weak internal control systems, there's always the opportunity for fraud. And this is exactly, in simple terms, what brought Biotrans to its knees. Are we going to see some arrests very soon? Well, I am obliged in law to investigate the affairs of the entity and where there is criminal culpability you can rest assured that there will be arrest. Not only will there be arrest, but if somebody had benefited because of the impropriety that they have caused, I will seek to recover those funds. 
Do you have a number for the funds that were misappropriated, money that is missing, money that needs to be paid back, or money that was stolen? So, Ray, that is too soon to know at the moment, but you can rest assured there will be a deep dive on every single expense that the company incurred. And because of the of the great public interest in this matter, these reports will be made available to the public. What you're listening to there is the voice of Mahir Tayob, who is the business rescue practitioner that's taken over the company, in essence, that runs, that operates um, the bus rapid transit system that we have in Johannesburg. After listening to that, I want to bring in now the current transport MMC, Kenny Kunene. So two of Piotran's creditors have brought an application. That's how we got here. That led to all of this. And I imagine there's a lot more that will make its way out into the public domain in the coming weeks, in the coming days. At the moment, I am joined now by Kenny Kunene, who is the transport MMC for the city of Joburg. Kenny, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the show. Let's first start with your reaction to all of this. Uh, I think where I must actually start is uh, when I came into uh, transport department as the member of the mayoral committee. Uh, The um, what happened was my encounter with Piotrans was brought about by the strike, where drivers went on strike because they were not paid, because the city had not paid Piotrans. I then intervened, and uh, that payment was done. And um, immediately after that, the, some of the shareholders asked to see me, and they then requested me to intervene and assist. I then said, no, I want to see all the shareholders and the board members. That meeting was arranged, and uh, I, I, I then attended the meeting where I addressed all the shareholders of Piotrans. And I gave them the terms of uh, what my assistance would be. After I engaged with the union, I engaged with the workers, and I engaged with uh, some of the shareholders and former board members. And uh, subsequent to that, they then requested that the then chair writes to me, to my office, requesting that I assist them uh, in terms of setting up a temporary uh, 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 board so that it can begin to unravel what is going on there. And there's been meetings after that. The the, the then chair, Advocate uh, Memela, took us to court to say that uh, I, 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 I was not supposed to have interacted with the shareholders and the resolution of the shareholders was illegal. The, the court went uh, against her and uh, confirmed that the resolution of the shareholders was indeed illegal and uh, the, 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 the actions that were taken after that were legal. Now, this interim board has, 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 has unraveled a lot. Um, so the business rescue mm. um, comes as a last, a last uh, alternative or a last um, plan to, to be able to assist 309 shareholders. Mine is one and one only, is to assist 309 families that have given away their taxes uh, to be part of this uh, BRT uh, uh, arrangement, uh, which was to last for 12 years. After 12 years, uh, then a tender process started. 
And uh, because that process has not been concluded, they were extended for two years, month to month. But I still maintain that uh, we need to assist them because what happened at Piotrans over the years was really uh, 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 bad for them. Uh, this PRT was not... It was not done well from the beginning. Okay, we'll have uh, an answer to that yes. question. I'll ask that question. But let's speak about what is possible about the way forward. You keep saying that yours is to try and support. Is there any way forward? Do you see any way to salvage Piotrans' involvement? Must Piotrans also remain at the center of BRT, of the BRT system? Um, is there a way to separate this infrastructure from it in order to redeem whatever's happening and to make sure that an infrastructure that is really for the people people of Joburg remains as that and is able to play that role going forward? Sidi, uh, uh, look, um, bringing a business rescue practitioner does not change the operations of Piotran. Uh, it is like you had a doctor, now you are going to a surgeon. When a surgeon takes over, uh, everybody else is excluded. The surgeon is in charge. Yes. So the business... Uh, who might recommend like cutting up the body, taking out the cancer, who can recommend all manner of exactly. things. We are watching a lot of our public institute, public um, enterprise, ooh, public assets rather, going through, we've seen them go through business rescue and some of them have been in a lull for so long, Kenny. I want to be able to wrap up and move on, but some of them have been in a lull for so long that at the end of the business rescue process, it's not what you identified before. In, in its current form, it doesn't even serve what it initially was meant to do. So I do think that it's fair for people to be concerned about what will happen to the BRT infrastructure as we know it going forward. I think that's a fair question. The, the BRT infrastructure remains as is. In fact, um, we have started the process of renovating the, 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 the BRT stations. Uh, if you go there, you'll find companies working to renovate them, to bring them to a state where they were. We are bringing technology... Okay. Uh, in the BRT stations. So the, the, the infrastructure remains. All that is happening is the business rescue practitioner is now going to go into Piotrans. He's been appointed by the High Court. He's now going to say, but you go. Official stand back. He's now going to say, what has happened here? Because monies were stolen. Over 50 million was stolen yes. in 2021. In 21, 22, over 100 and something million was stolen from Piotrans. Now, he is, a, he is a forensic investigator himself. So he's going to do an investigation and run the administration of Piotrans. So people will still get paid. Uh, the operations will, will work. What he must do is to get this company to a point where the profits buy buses so that there's more buses and the shareholders can make more money. But now, because there's so many creditors, uh, they had to go this route so that they can ring fence the creditors and say, wait, we are rescuing the business. So they don't have to be paying any creditors at the moment until such time that they have rescued the business and the business is profitable and the shareholders are making money and then they can then make arrangements with the creditors on how to pay them. But this particular business model will remain intact. There is absolutely no threat or collapse to the BRT system. To the model as it stands. Thank you so much. And of course, we want to see law enforcement. But before I move on from you, I really, really want to get to uh, Rihanna Musaji, who was an MMC at the time 
But before I go to her, your message to commuters in the city. Within two weeks' time, it'll be back to regular programming. They might be com- concerned. They have no need to worry. That is what you're saying, Kenny. There is absolutely no need to worry. The operations will continue as they have been. We have just removed the people that were running this so that uh, this expert can come and bring to light what has happened there and recover all the monies that have been stolen and look for those who have stolen that money and recover it so that the shareholders can benefit from what has been stolen from them. All right, thank you so much. That's Transport MMC Kenny Kunene for the city of Johannesburg. I want you to now take a step back in time. I think when you hear BRT, the bus rapid transit system, you cannot think about it and not think of the name Rihanna Musa G. She's the former Transport MMC and she's someone who I think if I think back about stories back then who literally risked life and limb in order to help bring the system to life I remember issues like kill list Rihanna I don't know if you remember that as well but she joins me now on the midday report thank you so much for joining us just to share her thoughts on what happened Rihanna good afternoon thank you for your time welcome to the show Good afternoon, Sidi, and thank you for having me. I'm going to actually pick up from what Kenny Kunene actually said there um, at the start. He says, from the very beginning, the BRT was not done well. I remember, like I said, I remember kill lists. I remember hearing about attempts on people's lives. That it was not an easy task bringing to life this BRT system. Let's go back to what the vision actually was and how it was meant to operate. Before I even ask you to delve into the state of the uh, Piotrans that's operating the BRT system. Thanks, Siri. Um, I mean, I think there's so many people who kind of make comments on Riavaya and bus rapid transit uh, without really understanding what it was. And, and it's interesting that the conversation you've just had with the MMC has been very focused on the shareholders. And yet, economic transformation, broad-based black economic empowerment, environmental issues were a big part of the conceptualization of the Riavaya project. But at the heart of Riavaya was actually the needs of users of public transport and what it would take to build a public transport system that was sufficiently attractive to get private car users out of their cars to make public transport accessible, affordable, safe, and reliable for users. And and so the user and the experience of the user was at the heart of what we were trying to do as the city of Johannesburg way back in 2006. We were obviously very aware that no transformation of public transport was going to happen without the critically important minibus taxi sector. And as per legislation, the National Land Transport Act of the time, um, a negotiated contract, which as MMC Kunene has indicated, was a 12-year operating contract. Piotrans was the first uh, bus operating company that was formed, made up of representatives of 10 different taxi associations at the time, who received shares in Piotrans. I need to say, Sidi, that there is also a second bus operating company, mm-hmm. Um that continues to operate. So, so the whole idea of a bus rapid transit system like Riavaya is that there could be a multiplicity of operators in the background, but there's one brand and the city is ultimately responsible for overseeing the performance of the bus operating company. The initial contract 
had had penalties worked into it, it had had a reward system worked into it, and everybody knew that it was, in terms of legislation at the time, a 12-year contract. So in fact, the city needs to answer the question as to why it chose not to ready itself for a tendered contract, because the legislation, and I understand that this has always been contentious for the taxi industry to say, we're entering into a 12-year contract. What happens beyond the 12 years? The legislation would have required the city to prepare itself for the ending of the original 12-year contract, to put it out to commercial tender, and then tender that as a tender service. Uh, so why that has, hasn't happened is not clear. And it is indeed a very sad day, Sidi, because people gave their lives Literally, people lost life for this transformation in transport to happen. And it does sound like, you know, it has really become a kind of free-for-all, and it has been about greed and about money rather than about putting the commuter at the center. The operating company is not at the center of this conversation. I'm glad you spoke about other operating companies because there is the strong focus on on Payo Trans, including by the MMC, as you heard, saying that he's worried about the shareholder. Help me understand a little bit further. You spoke about how it was meant to operate. Can we separate this infrastructure from Payo Trans? And I ask that because so much of the taxi industry seems to be tied in to Payo Trans specifically. And again, when you look back in time, part of the difficulty was managing what they seem to deem as threats to their livelihood, which had turned violent. Um, in trying to prepare to navigate this, the threat to Piotrans, is that something we should be concerned about? So, so I mean, I think it's a very sad turn of events, CD, because you will hear over and over, many years later, you will still hear the taxi industry talk about, we are outside of the public transport subsidy model. What Riavaya was, was an effort together with the taxi industry. I want to say that the Greater Johannesburg Regional Taxi Council and Top 6 Taxi Management were critical in enabling that public transport transformation to happen. And it was an effort to actually move beyond the idea that a public transport operator has to be tied to a mode of transport, i.e. a minibus taxi, that in fact they could get involved in operations of different parts of the transport system, and that Riavaya was never meant to be a standalone system. It was always meant to be part of an integrated public transport system. I think the other concerning issue, Sidi, is that from the council approval of Riavaya, November 2006, the system was inaugurated in August 2009. So from conceptualization without a single design, without anything, to induction was under three years. Then you had phase 1B, which is operated by another operating company called Lisa Maiso, which was launched in October of 2013 when MMC Christine Walters was the MMC for transport in the city of Johannesburg. The question does beg, what has happened in the city of Johannesburg between 2013 and we're now on the brink of 2024 that phase 1C, and you would be very familiar with this CD because 702 have your studios in Santon, so you've seen Riavaya stations that have been both in Santon, phase 1C, which was promised to the people of Johannesburg 
to run in 2016. We are now eight years out of 2016, and there is still no visible sign of phase 1C coming to life and beginning to create the network impact rather than single corridors that will be looked at. So I think it is very sad that possibly one of the biggest experiments and efforts at real and true broad-based black economic empowerment that, as MMC Kunene has indicated, includes over 300 shareholders, many of them women, um, one of the biggest environmental projects that the city of Johannesburg has undertaken, one of the biggest attempts at spatial transformation, at knitting together. You will remember that at a point the city of Johannesburg was referring to the corridors of freedom, uh, knitting together communities that had been deliberately kept apart by transport infrastructure in the apartheid mm. era, is now being called into question for really what is operating company-related issues, poor governance. From what I understand, Sidi, I've been a couple of steps away from all of this, but from what I've been hearing, a lot of it has actually been camped amongst shareholders. The creeping in, quite frankly, of a taxi industry mm. type way of resolving issues in a corporate governance environment. Rihanna, and especially mm. it all happen. Just very quickly in a sentence, in a few seconds, What's the best way forward? I think the business rescue is possibly the right way. And the business rescue will then point out as to what's happened to substantial amounts of public money, money that flows from the National Department of Transport through the city of Johannesburg to Biotron. Mm. I think those questions have to be asked. Accountability has to be there. Sure. But the commuters need to remain at the center and hopefully... Uh, an operating company that can, in fact, run the system and that the expansion needs to continue and that people need to be able to get about the city safely, affordably, right. and whether it's in a wheelchair or not, have access to a public transport. All right, system. thank you so much. That's Rihanna Musaji. You might not remember, but she was a transport MMC that helped bring the BRT system that you see around some parts of Johannesburg to life. Your voice. Your station. Let's walk the talk. 702. 702. I want to check in on the roads around Joburg now. I want to bring in JMPD's Kolani Fitla, who joins me now on the line. Kolani, thank you so much for your time. I do feel like the city is quiet. I'm a little bit happier driving to work because there's no traffic. But you and I spoke last week, and while we saw a lot of traffic going out of Joburg, we did see some traffic coming in. Just to get an understanding of what it's looking like, I imagine we're starting to see people coming back into the city. Uh, no, what we're saying, uh, since we did uh, speak uh, uh, last week, uh, is that uh, the traffic volumes are still low within the city. I think uh, some people are still on the holiday and others are at home and we're expecting traffic volumes to increase from uh, New Year's uh, uh, heading towards the end of that week. But uh, what we have seen is that we've been having uh, adverse weather conditions yes. uh, experienced this past long weekend and we have received uh, uh, reports of flooding in other areas areas of the city and we received reports last night uh, in uh, Florida it's next to Florida Lake it's West Lake and Albertina Sicily Road and then we also received a report of flooding on Christmas Eve on the 24th and on Christmas Day that's in Venetia South and in Orange Farm but uh, currently I can say that there are no major incidents that have been uh, reported and the traffic is uh, free-flowing within the city of Johannesburg. 
All right, thank you so much. That's Jane Pd's Kholani Fitla giving a quick update of the roads, saying that they're expecting traffic volumes to increase after New Year's and that the roads, yes, there's um, inclement weather, but that it's clear at the moment there are no major issues on Joburg's roads. Walking this talk together. Every hour. Every day. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. It's... 34 minutes past 12. You are listening to the Midday Report. My name is TD Madia in for Mandy Wiener. We're still keeping an eye on lots of stories that are unfolding today. I see Parliament has expressed shock and sadness at the passing of, of one of its members, Alison Tembu. It's understood the ANC MP died in a car accident yesterday. Mtembu's been an MP since 2019 and has served in various parliamentary committees. And if you are watching the news, I'm sure you've seen the NKZ and flood damage has claimed the lives of at least seven people, six in Ladysmith, and several others have been injured. Of course, we are going to speak to a forecaster and just a bit to understand what is going on with the weather and what to expect over the next few days. Those and other stories throughout the rest of the show. Because this journey is better taken together. Let's walk the talk. 702. Last week, I spoke to SA Weather, and back then, the predictions suggested a warm Christmas. Nope, that's not what we got. As I opened my eyes, from the time I opened my eyes on Christmas Day until I closed my eyes, there was downpour. I traveled to Polokwani yesterday, Limpopo, in rain. And you see, there's plenty of rain, and I think we're going to be seeing a few of that. But we're going to speak now to forecaster Lutoho Nelo Tobela, who joins me now on the line. Good afternoon. Thank you and welcome to the Midday Report. I'm saying that I'm surprised. I expected warm weather. It was so hot on Saturday. I thought Sunday would be the same. Monday would be the same. That wasn't necessarily the case. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. You, I don't know where or how or was it far apart because remember weather changes from day to day so when did you have the interview where you were told <laughs> i was told know, on friday that it's gonna be warm and sunny <laughs> no way with all the interviews i've had even i mean on tv and everywhere in the radio <laughs> you can record, have you been saying I it's going to be wet weather it was gonna be a wet i weather, did not speak to you i should have had a conversation with you so yeah, it is still sure. overcast it's still gray in gauteng are we expecting yeah. to see that over the next few days still yeah, for sure. I mean, for the central and the eastern parts, you're still expecting a cloudy conditions with some cool temperatures scattered to a widespread chance of showers and rain. I mean, if you look at today, we have a widespread chance of showers expected along the eastern parts of Pumalanga as well as Limpopo, as, uh, as well as the northeastern parts of KwaZulu-Natal, scattered along the central parts of the country, which would include Free State, Northwest, Gauteng, as well as some parts of KwaZulu-Natal, but then remains isolated in terms of a 30% chance of showers and rain, which is expected over the eastern parts of the Northern Cape and parts of the Eastern Cape and just along the south coast, which today we have some few warnings. Today it's one for disruptive rain expected over Limpopo and parts of the northern areas of Mpumalanga, as well as some severe thunderstorms are expected over the central parts of the country, which would cover most areas of the western parts of the northwest province, as well as the eastern parts of the free state, um, rather, no, southwestern parts of the free state, but the eastern parts of the northern Cape province, with damaging winds expected along the southwest coast, between Lambets Bay as well as Cape Agalis. Being all over to the week, we're still expecting a scattered to a widespread chance of showers and thunder showers, especially over the central parts with warnings being over severe thunderstorms and disruptive rain expected over the central parts which is from the eastern part of the northern Cape, southwestern parts of the Free State, as well as some northern areas of the Western Cape province. Still remaining there over 
the southwest coast tomorrow we still have some damaging winds which are expected between Landers Bay as well as Cape Agalus. Spread over to the Friday, we're expecting to get it to widespread chance of showers and rain remaining over most parts of the country with just the 60 over the uh, eastern part of Mpumalanga. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the whole week we are yet to still experience some showers and rain. So it looks like we're going into the new year with showers and rain. But in terms of the t- the temperatures itself, I felt the mercury had dropped slightly. I was expecting it to be slightly cooler, to be colder around most parts of Gauteng, Western Cape. So you felt it to be cooler where? <laughs> in, in Johannesburg, where I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yes, in spread of the temperatures, it remains cooler over the central and the eastern part, which would cover Gauteng, eastern parts of the country, which would include eastern half of the Eastern Cape Province, KwaZulu-Natal, and so for today. Warm and hot over the southwest, with hot temperatures being over the northern parts of the Northern Cape and parts of the south where the northwestern parts of the Western Cape Province. Tomorrow, cooler temperatures still persist over the eastern parts, but gets to be warm in some places over Gauteng and warmer still remaining over the southwestern parts. Looks like the southwestern airs will remain warm to hot throughout the week, but on day three, that's when we see uh, just a transition into the 30th. That's when we see some warm temperatures countrywide with some parts of Gauteng being warm in some northern areas and spreading all over to day five, which is the 31st. You woke up to warm temperatures with just a 30% chance of showers and rain expected over parts of the northeast, but remaining scattered to a widespread along the coastal and the eastern parts, which would cover the eastern Cape Province, Drunkensburg, and areas around but the northern parts of KwaZulu-Natal remain warm but hot in some areas. So it looks okay. like it will be a warm day. And just to let you, just before I let you go very quickly, you mentioned Drakensburg. People are, are predicting, some are predicting mm-hmm. snow around Drakensburg and Lesotho. Are they accurate? Well, I haven't issued any, or rather we haven't in the South Africa Weather Service issued anything at the warning, but rain is promised along the Drunkensburg area uh, throughout the week because there are chances of, uh, we have an upper system called a cartel flow, which brings a much more of colder temperatures. In terms of snow, we're still yet looking into colder and how colder it gets. For now, it's just rainfall as well as some strong winds. All right, thank you so much. That's forecaster Lutlohonelo Tobela giving us an update. They're saying you must expect the rain for a few more days, but it will pick up. It'll be a little bit warmer. I'm still saying it's chilly where I am here in Joburg. Your voice. Your station. Let's walk the talk. 702. 702. The National Union of Mine Workers is pleading with Impala Platinum not to dismiss workers at the Bafukeng Rasamon Platinum Mine following last week's wildcat strike. If you remember, more than 2,000 miners went on strike. They went underground for several days, demanding immediate payment of their pension funds following a change of ownership of the mine. We speak now to NUM Regional Chair July Ratibe. July, thank you so much for joining us on the line. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for having me in your show. July, when we spoke to NUM last week, some of the concerns that the union expressed was having its miners go underground and back on this particular strike without informing NUM. So now you find yourself having to manage the consequences of a decision that you did not endorse. Is that accurate? Yes, it is ac- accurate. Um, as the National Union of Mine Workers, it's our, it's our priority negative and our job to secure employment of our members. 
Um, you are speaking to the mind from what I understand as a union. Um, are they willing to engage? I see some from NUM saying that this is a misunderstanding. Why some of the workers embarked on the strike? Are you engaging the mind? Is it willing to hear you out as you plead for these jobs to not, for these workers to not lose their jobs? Yes. Uh, look, the company has already issued an ultimatum of dismissal, summary dismissal, and from the national office of the union and the regional office, we are busy engaging the company. Uh, they, um, I will not say they are not uh, willing to engage with us. They are engaging with us, but they are positional, positional in terms of the decision that they have taken. And they are saying uh, every case must be must be treated by its own merits. So, 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 um, as as I'm speaking to you, we are busy working around the clock. Uh, preparing for, for our defense in terms of how we're going to represent this to, to uh, go back to work. Your line is slightly choppy. Just before I let you go, though, July, how much time has been set aside to try and deal with this particular issue, um, to try and figure out what ought to happen? If you're dealing with it on merit, it means you have individual cases that you must deal with. How much of a window period has been agreed upon between the union and the mine to resolve this issue? Um, the mine was supposed to resume on the on the third. So from the third, we'll be we'll be uh, seeing how how many uh, members will be uh, getting back to work. Because remember, we are talking of two thousand uh, employees, and that operation has um, close to six thousand employees. So there will be other um, employees that will be proceeding to work. Uh, it's only the two thousand that have staged underground that will be facing this. Uh, charges. So we hope that uh, before the third, we will uh, reach an amicable solution as to how do we how do we um, make sure that they return all of them to it. All right, thank you so much. That's July Radibe, regional NUM chair, speaking about those MPLAS workers where the mine now has issued an ultimatum saying that they should be fired. But the NUM saying that there is a misunderstanding. I mean, I was reading a little bit earlier where the NUM says these poor mine workers have been misled by certain individuals. So it's our view that the mine should take that into consideration. But of course, we're not saying that they should not do what is necessary, but we are saying in whatever they are doing, they should not dismiss the workers for the fact that they'll be demanding their retirement fund while they're still working. We think that they've been misled and it's just a question of a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding. The difficult situation for NUM is all of this, as July admitted there, is it's happened without their understanding. So now they must deal with the consequences of what their members have done without seeking their consent or having an agreement about embarking on that action. If you remember last week, we had the NUM literally coming on air saying, we don't know why our miners are underground. In fact, the person who knew why, possibly why miners were underground, was actually Nukuka Nyamtambo from EWN, who, as she said then, it's a trend that she's been seeing over and over again that it'll take a certain amount of time for them to be underground. Eventually, they get hungry and they come up. But yeah, that is a story to look out for saying. Hopefully when the mine resumes operations on the third of January, they might be able to move the conversation forward, hoping to keep 2,000 mine workers at work. Walking this talk together every hour, every day. This is 702. Let's walk the talk.
So a few weeks ago, amid much fanfare, Passenger Railway Agency of South Africa announced that it was resuming its long-distance mainline passenger passenger services. This was via Socialoza Mail. The trips were from Joburg to Durban, as well as Cape Town. We speak now to Sunday Times journalist Hendrik Hanke, who took a ride on one of these trains, from what I understand. Hendrik, if I'm correct, you went to Durban, and you described it as a bittersweet experience. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Reports. Hi, PD. Uh, yeah, it, thank you very much. <laughs> it's an honor being, being here. Yeah, so it was a bittersweet experience. I mean, I envied images of people on the trains, and I thought, oh, it would be so interesting to take a train ride, because that's not something we see in 2023. I mean, the trains have pretty uh, much been uh, are not top of mind for a lot of commuters anymore, because they've been rendered uh, useless for a very long time. So you then embarked on this trip, and I want yeah. to understand why it was bittersweet, Hendrik. Well, Firstly, from Joburg to Durban, uh, it, it took us 30 hours one way. Um, then when we came back, we made it to Newcastle and had to be bused from there. But from Durban to Newcastle, which is in the same province, was 21 hours. So in, in, in total, without ca- counting the buses, um, it, it, we, were, we were on the train for 50, 54 and a half hours. Goodness. And we couldn't make it back. But that's the better. Yes. <laughs> Give me a bit of the sweets. It was wonderful. I enjoyed every minute of it. I loved it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm from, a, from a generation where the romance of trains haven't really been totally forgotten. And, oh, it was wonderful. Swaying side to side, sitting there in the dining car. <laughs> it, it was just an amazing adventure. I, and, and to, to be totally honest, I've already started rounding up friends. Uh, I want us to go do it again, but in July. Um, so, but we're going to leave one day earlier because this time we left the Friday evening, 6 o'clock, and we weren't in Durban in time, so I could go to the rugby at quarter past five in the afternoon. So next time we're going to go for the spring box, and we're going to leave a day <laughs> a earlier day just to make sure we get there. Let's speak about the things that have also gone wrong. I mean, as a journalist, we've all been watching the Prasa story, the Transnet story, um, what's happened to this country's railways. As you said, you're from a generation that still romanticizes that era. There's a generation that has no idea that trains were an important mode of transport in this country. As a journalist, when you look at what's gone wrong and the attempts to fix it, um, yeah, what comes to mind? The, the, the problem is the infrastructure. Um, I think... It's been pretty much laid waste and stripped bare. Um, you, you, you actually have to doff your cap at, at the fact that this train made Durban. Um, there, a lot of hard work went, went in by people trying to, to, to just smooth the way for four trains to reach their destinations. And of those four trains, only one made it, only to its destination, and that was us. Um, but but if you go look at the state of the the, the infrastructure, um, it, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to be a battle. There's there's look, Prasa uh, uh, don't report to the same minister as, as Transnet, mm. and you know it's it's just a it's a very difficult situation to 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 rectify where we're now. But honestly, I'm just glad there's a first step. Um, being on that train, seeing the Prasov folks on the on the stations as we rolled in, uh, videoing and backslapping each other, just that that little moment, that slice of life of joy, that's just that little thing, 
It was amazing. You sound like an eternal optimist. It's such a hard one for me because we are celebrating what should have been operating. We are celebrating mm-hmm. an attempt to get back to where we were. I want to quickly get your thoughts on the relationship between Prasa and Transnet because Prasa, in order to work, does need Transnet to get infrastructure yep. right. You say it's a massive challenge. Do you think there's the necessary political will to get there? Because them clapping hands and supporting each other and the fanfare is fantastic. But if the, the, the department in charge of the network itself the infrastructure is not coming to the party is not prioritizing process needs then we're not going anywhere the argument of political will then remains does it not absolutely no absolutely and and literally the situation where where we're at is it's a bit of a one-way want because like you've just said now Brasov can't do anything without the transnet infrastructure so if 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 Translate decides we don't want to work with Prasa, we're going to make it difficult for them. It's going to be difficult for them. So that needs to be smoothed on a, on a, on a high level, I don't know, somewhere above these two entities um, or, or something to that effect. Because otherwise, you've, you've, you've got two, two systems who have to function mm-hmm. on one system's infrastructure. And if that one system has the overriding control over things... Um, it will just be one-way traffic all the way. Mm. So there's something has to happen at a high level. That that is that is an absolute um, uh, fact. But but who's this? Why this boils back back to something else you said earlier in that political will. Who who has the political will to take on that fight? Mm. Uh, and and you know what? The, the importance of these long-distance trains cannot be stressed enough. The the the, the economic situation in our country is dire and these are affordable ways of moving across south africa um i I can't remember now what the prices for the other three trains were but for the durban trip um uh, uh, one way was 360 or 370 rand now and that's for the sleeper class so so you've got a a, a bed to sleep You know, that's amazing. That's 700 and small... That's a world apart from a flight to Durban on any given day. Hendrik... It's cheaper than a car to go one way. (laughs) Petrol, I forgot, yes. You're correct. You're correct. You said you're going back. You're going to go for another train ride in July. (laughs) Hopefully I'll attempt the same thing. Thank you so much for your time, Hendrik. And it's a pleasure to see you. Have a good one that time. All right, thank you. That's Hendrik Henke from the Sunday Times. We took a train ride saying that it was a bittersweet experience. It speaks about the nostalgia. And I hear this from people who used to use the trains all the time. The nostalgia of using the trains and just the economic value if they get this right. But you've got that thing that ha- that's happening with ESCOM. Think about it where they're straddling many lines. Sorry, it's the thing with the electricity minister rather where he straddles many lines and he needs to jump many, many hoops in order to get his one job done. And look at where that's gotten us. Hmm? Yes, maybe a few weeks of no load change but still it'll be back with us in january so that's the hurdle that i hear prasa needs transnet report to different ministers what does this mean in the long run your voice your station let's walk the talk 702 702
It's 12.54. You are listening to the Midday Report. My name is TD Madia. Standing in for Mandy, we now be with you this week and again next week. So I want to look at a story that bothered me a little bit. I think it should have bothered many, bothered many of us. It shocked us really last year where a tanker drove into a bridge. Do you remember that explosion that happened in Boxburg last year? EWN's Alpha Ramushwana was there last year. EWN's Alpha Ramushwana went back to Boxburg, spoke to family members about the incident. He joins us now in studio alpha good afternoon welcome to the show it's been a year it's been a year you spoke to family members but before i even ask you about the family members i imagine you've gone back to the scene um talk me through what you remember seeing last year versus what you saw this year i'm trying to figure out if there's been any progress since Mm. then so yeah like you said i was on the scene um I think two, three hours after the explosion last year. And of course, it was very, very graphic. Um, you know, the bodies were scattered all over the place. And um, the bridge was, you know, you couldn't even tell that this is a bridge or this was a bridge. Everything was just all over the place, you know. Um, the houses near the bridge were totally, partially destroyed. Um, no windows, the ceilings have collapsed. Uh, the roofs had also collapsed. And then I went back there um, um, on Christmas Eve um, this year, just to see on if Sunday. there's been- Sunday, Sunday. Yes, yes yeah. Sunday, if, just to see if there's been any progress. And I must say that, you know, Prasa has um, um, cordoned off the whole area um, because they've started now with um, um, uh, um, building, rebuilding the bridge. Um, there's Prasa security guards um, 24-7. They're making sure that people don't enter. I mean, it's still a hazard city because parts of the bridge are still um, there and they look like they might collapse again. Um, so while um, they've started rebuilding um, the bridge and started fixing um, uh, the rail infrastructure that was damaged, uh, there's still much work that's going to be done because they did say that they don't expect this um, to uh, be concluded anytime soon. No, I don't think so. We still have remnants of other explosions and things that have gone yeah. wrong in this province that have yet to, been att- are yet to be attended to. You did speak to family members. Yeah. Those are the people that I imagine yeah. this stays with and they're remembering it, remember it every day. Yeah, you know, that that they've described vividly that a year after the Boxburg explosion, um, their life has pretty much um, changed for the worst. Um, they say that that explosion has not only affected them in such that, you know, uh, parts of their homes were, were, were gutted, uh, but it's also affected um, them financially. I spoke to a mother, her name is Mama Rose, uh, Mama Rose Mashawa. She lost her two children and her daughter-in-law in the explosion. And she expressed that they were the breadwinners at home. They were bringing food on the table, um, money in the family on a month-to-month basis. But after they passed on following the explosion or due to the explosion, she's been left to suffer. She's not working. She's not getting any pension money. Um, so the little money she receives from um, NGOs um, after the explosion now is literally the only money that she's using to survive on a day-to-day basis. I've also spoke to the Philander family, which stays literally um, just outside where the gas tanker exploded as you um, step outside their house you see Mm. the scene literally and uh, the woman explained that she's very grateful to still be alive today she said when that tanker exploded the first thing she did because she couldn't run she went straight to her knees and started praying on the spot with debris flying all all over the place to pray that you know she uh, survives this and she did survive that and I went to her home and both her and her husband are now living with burn wounds um, all over their body you can just see from you know 
the limbs uh, you, you can tell that they're still very much suffering from the pain and she did explain that she is not allowed or she can't stand uh, for too long because she's still in pain um, a year after the Boxburg explosion so uh, it, they haven't recovered both financially and physically all right thank you so much i'm going to keep you with me so what i'm also going to do part of my day job is being in the newsroom and what i want to have happen this week is some of the journalists come on and speak about some of the stories that they've covered this year just their thoughts on some of the issues that were top of mind top of bulletins in uh, south africa's stories for the year so i'll start with alpha because you know he's here with me at the moment alpha i've covered politics with you yes yeah. <laughs> he laughs because he doesn't listen <laughs> but i've covered politics with you but before i even speak about the politics let's speak about water yeah. one of the major issues that we saw we've seen load shedding yeah then we saw water become a cause for concern i don't want to call you a water boy but actually <laughs> you are a guy so let's speak a little bit about what you've been seeing and covering yeah. water issues throughout the year um you know it's it's now an issue that's experienced all across the Gauteng province but one person one official who explains it very honestly is the uh, the director general of the water and sanitation department um sean phillips he was very honest in telling uh, the residents of Gauteng that the water issue is not going anywhere anytime soon he said you know, the next five years are going to be very tough. There's going to be more and more uh, challenges in supplying water and it's attributed it to an increase in demand. So what he's saying is that uh, because of the recent um, weather, um, the heat waves, uh, there's been an increasingly or extremely high um, consumption of water in, in the Gauteng province. And this has left uh, most of the reservoirs in the country, or in the, in the province rather, uh, at really low levels and they are unable to recover from that they've been unable to recover from that and uh, uh, what they have to do now according to him is improve infrastructure build more water uh, reservoirs so water will remain with us again i said earlier you and i cover politics i've seen you through the nc women's league i've seen you through the nc youth league i have a few seconds for you just to give us a quick wrap on these structures of the nc that have supposedly been resuscitated yeah so um we in July we saw the ANC Youth League coming back. Um, Colin Malachi was elected unopposed, um, and then a few weeks later we saw um, the Women's League also being resuscitated, and we saw them electing CCC uh, Tolasha as their president. And what's been interesting since the Youth League came back is you know the the remarks and the comments they've made about many uh, ANC officials. Um, we saw. A public spat between uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Pravin Gordon and um, the Minister of uh, um, uh, Public, Enterprises, Public Enterprises, yes, yes. Uh, and Colin Malachi, where he said if uh, Pravin Gordon is not stopped from selling SOEs, he'll sell South Africans. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. Let me tell you, they say that the draft diamonds, you get like refurbished or cleaned up in that space. The Youth League is going to make lots of lots of four parts with years to come. That's Alpha Ramushwana.